In this episode of The Ziggler Show, Tom Ziggler and I tackle the issue of happiness. I ask the audience how in control of their happiness do they feel they are. A majority, of course, said 100%, but I actually push back on that. I mean, even if you believe you have control, are you able to harness that control? I mean, if I ask most anyone if they felt they could run a 5K in under 25 minutes, you know, if they trained for it, I think most would say, sure, they could achieve that. They could control that. But can they do it right now? Well, same here. I mean, saying, yes, I believe I can control my happiness doesn't mean that you do, that you're able to in the moment. So is it really possible? And we can't control circumstances, but amidst hard realities, can we? I mean, do we really maintain control over our happiness? our core happiness. It may not be possible in every moment, but how can we grow that possibility? So we'll kick off with a two and a half minute message from Zig Ziglar on this issue. Then Tom Ziglar and I will share some listener comments and talk through controlling our happiness. Welcome everyone. I'm Kevin Miller. I host three podcasts where we have candid conversations that matter regarding the root issues of personal change and growth. There are endless podcasts that will entertain and inform you, but my goal is to educate and equip you. This is The Ziggler Show. It's ranked number two in all-time career podcasts in Apple Podcasts, and our focus is growing your professional success. My Motive podcast is devoted to helping you know what you authentically want by understanding why you really want it, which is made clear by knowing what you truly value. In episode 26, I bring you the motive story of Chris Tuff, the millennial whisperer himself. His motives started with trying to best his brothers and everything, and it bled into the trajectory of his life that left him married with two kids, successful in his work, and so burnt out he had to halt it all and stop. My True Life podcast is aimed at getting you fully functioning physically so your body and mind can support your desires in life. In episode 68, we discuss the placebo advantage. Placebos are not something to be minimized and scoffed at. They can greatly benefit or hamper any real treatment for our wellness. You can find all three shows in Apple Podcasts by searching Kevin Miller or at my website, kevinmiller.co. And if you're new to The Ziggler Show, I invite you to visit ziggler.com slash coach and connect with Tom Ziggler about becoming a Ziggler coach. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon. Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous. And I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled-in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Well, now the question comes up, as far as happiness is concerned, can you really set happiness as being a goal? It's an intriguing question. Let's answer it. Rose Barthold says this, happiness is a conscious choice. It is not an automatic response. Happiness is an attitude. Let me also say that happiness is not a when and a where. It is a here and a now. Many people say they're going to be happy when they get in the house, but they won't. Then they'll be happy when they get everything properly arranged, but they won't. Then they'll be happy when the landscaping is all set in, but they won't. Then they will be happy when they build a patio out back, but they really won't. Then they'll be happy when they get the mortgage paid off, but they really won't. Then they'll be happy when they have the second home. A lot of people are going to be happy on a where. Oh, when we get out to Hawaii for that 10-day vacation, man, then I'm going to be happy. Uh, That is not the way it is because it makes no difference where you go. There you are. 
Let me say it again. It doesn't make any difference where you go, there you are. And you see, until you are happy with you, you're not going to be happy with what you have or where you are. I love what Dennis Prager in a Reader's Digest article had to say about this. He says, fun is what we experience during an act. Happiness is what we experience after an act. It is a deeper, more abiding emotion. He says things like going to an amusement park or ball game, watching a movie or television are fun activities. They help us relax. They help us temporarily forget our problems and maybe even laugh. But they do not bring happiness because their positive effect ends when the fun ends. Happiness is of much longer duration. Mr. Prager also points out with unusual insights that the people who cling to the belief that a fun-filled, pain-free life equals happiness actually diminishes their chances of ever attaining real happiness. If fun and pleasure equated with happiness, then pain must be equated with unhappiness, but in fact, the opposite is true. More times than not, things that lead to happiness involve some pain. Now, let me say that he's absolutely right. You'll hear me say later in this presentation that happiness is not pleasure, it's victory. Victory over things that are tough. Victory over sometimes odds that seem to be insurmountable. Well, Tom, anytime we have this term of happiness come up, uh, you real quick have the, well, here, I'll, I'll just, I'll just read right off the bat here. Renee Vidor, she says, by definition, I see happiness as based around circumstances. While I do have some control over my circumstances, it's minimal overall, like the shutdown, which is, she's talking about, you know, COVID and the pandemic, which changed everything within my control or when my son needed open heart surgery or for anyone experiencing a job loss, losing a big client or a diagnosis out of their control, these things aren't in favor of the feeling of happiness. That's where I see the difference of happiness and joy. Uh, Kent Burr, can joy be substituted for happiness? Is there a difference? Can you have one, you know, without the other? And uh, very relevant topic. And of course, the point, uh, you know, of this is, can we have more control and how, you know, asking the question, can we have more control? That's one thing and saying, oh yeah, you know, sure. We should be able to have a hundred percent, which is, you know, 65%, 70% of the people who responded said a hundred percent. So it's one thing to, you know, explain, yeah, yeah, we can. Yeah. But do you, you know, do, are we walking that out? And I, for one, will raise up my hand and say, am I happy all the time? I am not. Uh, I, I am not. So let's, you know, let's dig into that. And first off, just to dig into the feeling of happiness as opposed to the, what, what Tom, the foundation of joy, um, I think is a very real issue. And I would say that, do I primarily have joy all the time? Pretty much. Am I happy all the time? No. So I, I'm going to shoot at that first. Yeah. So what's your definition of joy versus happiness? I'm throwing it back at you. Oh yeah. You should have done that before the show. So I could have prepared better. Uh, cause I, I love words. I love to look at the definitions, you know, of word, but when I think of joy, I do think of a continual hope, um, and positivity and expectation, but I, I mainly say hope. Do I ever, do I ever feel hopeless, man? I mean, no, I, I won't say that I haven't, and I don't have, you know, the rare moment of feeling hopeless about a situation or whatever, but overall, you know, I, I feel like I've led, led a privileged life and, and privileged even in the, the, the opportunity for hope. So do I always feel, you know, hopeful and expectant of the future and through that have joy? Do I, do I ultimately feel gratitude? And if I look around and stop and take whatever worry I have and take, kind of take it captive and go, okay, wait, wait, but overall, am I grateful to, you know, for where? Yes. So gratitude, hope. So if I wrap that up in joy I would say, yes, um, I pretty much have that. And that's how I would on the fly encapsulate it. What about you? Well, I, you know, I was kind of raised with the word, <laughs> the ultimate wordsmith, which was dad. I mean, yeah. he, loved, he loved the definitions. And, I do too. And of course I inherited that and I love it too. And, and so I've studied it and, 
you know, happiness is very often and very much circumstantial. Yeah. And, and it depends on the last endorphin hit that you had. And so it could be a like on Facebook. It could be that brownie that's cooking in the oven. It could be, uh, you know, a, a one step closer on a goal, right? You, you complete a task and you're getting closer to it. But what happens with happiness is uh, once you've hit it, you need another one. Yeah. And... And so the circumstances to a large degree. Now, the problem with with the way the world views happiness is our culture, our media, the powers that be, they've lied to us. And they've said that our purpose is to be happy. Yeah. If it feels good, do it. Whatever makes you happy, go and do it. And a lot of times things that make us happy are more instant gratification things. You know, eat the cheesecake, uh, drink the beer binge on Netflix sure feed the, the the immediate pleasure and appetite for for sure and so what happens is is when we get some hits right when things come against us when we get some setbacks when things don't go as well as we want at work or at home and we hear the voice in our head says hey i'm supposed to be happy i need to get i need to be happy and then we overdo the cheesecake or or alcohol or Netflix and it creates a downward spiral, right? And so now uh, unhappiness leads to despair and depression and anxiety and worry and disconnection and loneliness. And, and so if we're supposed to be happy, then we start looking for more and more things to make us happy, a break from the circumstance. And so I think that's why we've got, uh, you know, more addictions going on right now because of the, pandemic we're coming out of yeah and so what's the different you know so so well what's joy joy doesn't depend on the circumstances and the the example that i give is that um if let's just say you're battling a very serious illness uh and you don't know whether you're going to win or lose right you don't know if it's <laughs> if it's survivable and so you're putting everything, every every ounce of energy you have, and yet a good friend or a family member comes to you and they share with you something on their heart that's a victory for them, a breakthrough they've had. You can experience joy mm -hmm. in that very moment, regardless of the circumstances that you're in. And then I heard, um, just putting things together, Rabbi Lappin said that the the opposite of depression is not happiness. The opposite of depression is purpose. We talked about that, I think, last I, last I was going to say, was that yesterday? Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. We recorded a couple of days ago. Oh, yeah, maybe so. And so what that tells me is that the byproduct of purpose is happiness. Yeah. And so really, when we, when we pursue happiness then a lot of times it's the rabbit hole that ends up in a bad place because there's nothing substantial about it. But if we pursue purpose and we start making progress towards that purpose, we start getting, you know, the win the little wins, right? The little incrementalism things that, that we can see progress and that makes us happy. And I think it's interesting. And I read this years ago, uh, but when the founding fathers got together and it said life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. <laughs> well, the original uh, thing was life, liberty, and the pursuit of virtue, hmm. which is really interesting because um, if you really study the virtues, you could, you could say that the pursuit of virtue is very close to the pursuit of purpose. Right. Because if you live out all the virtues, then you're probably living out your purpose. Yeah. Right. And because everybody at that time and, you know, in the discussion, the founding fathers, they knew and everybody just assumed, hey, if you pursue virtue, happiness is going to come. But I think the marketing arm of the Continental Congress decided that, you know what, <laughs> long term, if we can promise happiness. Yeah. <laughs> That'll sell better. That'll sell better. No doubt.
and so we've been confused ever since. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, and it's, and we, and it's really interesting because, I mean, we could even look at it in the context of today. Uh, if, if, if I call it the I or the we, right. <clears throat> and if let's just take the mask debate, mm-hmm. some people wearing a mask makes them happy. Right. And some people wearing a mask makes them unhappy. And so if our ultimate goal is the pursuit of happiness, then we should all be happy with everybody doing whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a very I centered yeah. perspective, right? That's a me. That's an I and a me. It's not an us and a we. And so an us and a we would say, well, wait a second. You know, maybe the the bigger purpose is what's best for everybody. And I need to, it doesn't matter what side of the debate you're on, you need to look at it from the other side and say, well, maybe I need to uh, be more focused on the bigger purpose rather than what makes me happy. And there's so many things that we've got to choose in life. And, and, and then ultimately, uh, I, I remember this, I was talking with Seth Godin and I asked him this question about success. I said, what do you think about my quote? The fastest way to success is to replace bad habits with good habits. And he said something very interesting. He said, well, there is a faster way than that. Okay. And I said, really, what is it? He said, well, just decide you're already successful. Okay. Okay. And so some of the comments, in, you know, something about happy, you can decide you're happy. And, and then I was, uh, somebody said this this week, you know, we got three things in us. We got a, we got a feeler, a thinker, and a chooser, right? And our, our thinker is like our brain, and it's like the automatic, the things that our, that our body does automatically, the the thought, the logic, the thought, and our, our feelers like our heart, it's our emotion. And then our chooser is our will. And it's what we tell our brain to do. And if we can literally, we can, we can tell our brain to look for happiness or we can tell our brain to look for unhappiness. Yeah. And so there's actually a lot of science and a lot of credibility that, that says we get to, to choose whether we're happy or not. And dad used to say, uh, you know, even if you're not feeling so good, say you are. And he said, that's just called telling the truth in advance. <laughs> well, and that can get the, so, so let's hit on that though, Tom, because as you know, and even, you know, the, the motivational positive thinking world has gotten pushback on the Pollyanna thing of, oh, you know, just fake it and perform and whatever. And uh, that's been abused, I think, as well. And that's not the point. It is realizing, you know, we have the, you know, we can rewire our brains. We can reprogram ourselves even in the minute and in, in, in the moment. But you saying, you know, the bit you said the biggest, bigger, per, having a bigger purpose, focusing on that instead of just what makes me happy. And, you know, I'm, I've been sitting here listening to you and thinking about your initial question to me. And I would say it is my, you know, I said, I said something like, like hope gratitude, give me joy, continual, uh, joy, but that's probably the key one, Tom. I am so grateful that every morning, like a root cause issue, I wake up and I have a purpose and I would say, I'd be terrified to wake up and not have a purpose. I I wouldn't have context for life. So our faith believing in something greater is a core foundational purpose And I think the argument by those who don't believe in a bigger purpose is that those of us who do, that's the only reason It's because we're just looking for something to have hope in. That's hard to argue because I don't, I don't think that that is why, man, that is, I, I I understand that you have to wake up and think that there is nothing bigger than myself. There is no bigger picture. This is it. We're worm food after this. That's depressing bottom line. So the purpose in my faith but even in the purpose then in my life here, which of course I don't understand again without my faith, but my purpose, and that is, that is joy, but that's what enables me to better have happiness or to find it even in the moment. 
You are listening to The Ziegler Show and this episode on controlling our happiness. Next, I read a listener comment where she feels she only has about 20% control over her happiness, but she does focus on seeing the good side of bad situations. I think we all can relate to what she shares. So here are some great products and services, then we'll get right back to our topic at hand. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to think about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to 100 times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and Air Doctor is just the best. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so it, your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. Friends, I'm pretty candid about my lack of financial prowess. Money and numbers are fairly Greek to me, so I need a lot of guidance. One of my closest friends is a wildly successful wealth manager, and I'm working on some financial literacy and just continually seeking guidance. So I ask you to check out yahoofinance.com. Nobody knows it all on Yahoo Finance is a, an incredible resource for the rookies like me or the seasoned investors. You know, before my dad passed away recently, Dave Ramsey and his wife, Sharon, flew down to visit. We all got to spend a day together. And I was at yahoofinance.com just now. I saw multiple news flashes from Dave and other people that you respect. And they're hitting so many of the hottest areas in finance today. So it's a place to get a snapshot of all aspects of your financial interests. And if you have them, your portfolios. I hadn't realized Yahoo Finance is the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. So for your comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. One more time. YahooFinance.com. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top-tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Let me just read a couple because I got some insightful answers. Jennifer Meisel here, she says, I'm a very positive person. I'm also grateful and blessed. I have 100% control of how I react to situations. And I would say, you know, Zig would say respond to situations or life. But honestly, I feel maybe 20% in control of my happiness. I feel like life throws me situations that are not happy ones. And I have some control over making choices that would make me happy or be suited to me. But I find I spend more time trying to see the good side of unhappy situations. As an example, I was happiest in my 20s. I can't control that I'm 50. 
I make the most of something I can't change and I'm grateful that I'm not dead, but I'm not happy getting older. So 80% of aging is uncontrollable. 20% is me controlling my diet, exercise, and to feel as young as possible. I feel like that was just a candid answer. I know Jennifer. Um, she is a, an aspiring person, as we would say of most of our, of our audience. And I feel like that's, I mean, there is so much. Yeah, you can, we can get into the aspect of talking about victims, right, Tom? I mean, we are all victimized. Now, I can't say that I feel a lot of victims. I haven't had huge traumas, but I've had things that happen to me. I had COVID hit last year in March and my income for that month dropped in half. So I was victimized. Now, did it put me in dire straits? No. So is that the same as somebody who was raped, uh, you know, to, to put a blunt? No. I mean, I've got kids, I've got adopted kids who have had, you know, immense uh, victimizations, things that happened and they could not control. There was no happiness in there. There was no joy. They now are growing and we're giving them, you know, opportunities and exposure. And they at some point have to choose uh, joy and, and, and choose happiness. But there is so much that happens to us that we are not in control of. Um, I have had to learn to let go of that control and realize I am not in control. I can't control everything, but then we can come back and say, but I can control, like she said, my response, my perspective. I mean, Tom, this came up in a conversation just this morning. My, I, one of my daughters was sideswiped. I almost T-boned on one of our backcountry roads by a guy who had, I'm not sure if he was sober. And I, uh, and he had no insurance. Um, they did not stay at the scene either because there was no cell coverage there. It's our little road going up to our house. So they drove to our house. Guy was as sweet as he could be, but he had no insurance. And after it's all said and done, that's just it. So here is my daughter who saved up her money and bought a car and had insurance that she pays for as a 20. Well, she's been paying it since she was 16 um, and she's hit by a middle-aged guy who says he couldn't afford insurance. He's so sorry. And she's out of car period. End of story. She's out of car. Um, did, she didn't have, we didn't even realize it, but didn't have the uninsured motorist insurance on that car. I didn't even realize. I thought we did. And my, my, my bad on that one, we didn't have that. She's out of car. That's it. So she was victimized. She's out of a car. That's not happy. I'm not happy about that. She's not you know, going around whistling Dixie about that. She's not trying to make a good story of it, man. I'm so glad that my car got destroyed so I can get a new car. Cause now she's struggling to figure out, gosh, that I had a lot invested. She's been saving up money to go to France. She doesn't want to use the money on a car. So she's, she's out of a car. She's a victim, you know, of that, but we can choose how we respond to that. So are we going to let that haunt us for how long? How long should she lament it? How long should she be angry? How much effort should she go after trying to maybe get money from the guy, which I said was pointless and not worth the, not worth the heartache probably, which I don't think it is, but it's a real predicament. How many of those things happen to us, everybody hearing every single day with money, with relationships, with health issues, things that are going to happen. They're out of our control and they are, they're flat out, not good. So we're not going to paint some Pollyanna picture on them, but then here we are. It is what it is. That's what I often goes through my head, Tom. It is what it is. I just, I can't, it happened. It's just, it is. So what do we do? Do we lament it? Do we, we don't paint a pretty picture. That stinks. I'm so sorry. We can cry about that. But then for how long, how much of our time, effort, energy do we take up and what can we do to change that? And that is where then I think it's relevant to go, you know, what do we have to be grateful for? I mean, to, to literally, you know, not again, not, uh, not discount the feeling, not discount the heartache, but for my daughter to go, look, honey, you're, you're 21. You're healthy. You will never go hungry. You're not destitute. I can buy you a brand new car today if I want. I'm not gonna, <laughs> but, but we have the, the means. Let's figure out the best way for, for this, but it's not, you know, what, what's a bummer is to be that guy. Uh, he had a bad situation going on. Uh, that would be really bad, but is there a bright side? H absolutely. And we've got to put it can we say that we've got to put these things in perspective? And then, then it, bring, it does bring me back, Tom, to your initial question and thinking about gratitude. 
If I look and think about what I have to be grateful for in truth, no matter what, it's really hard not to find the opportunity, not only to have joy, but even in the moment to find some happiness. And I do, you know what, I'll stop there, let you comment, because I I, I do want to come back and talk a a little bit about even the things we can do right in the moment to help bolster, bolster our happiness. Yeah, I will. I'm going to relay a story um, and then kind of an, an my, kind of my answer to that. Uh, years ago, I wrote a uh, an email or a, or a little thing, and it basically it said uh, when you know, and this is from a biblical perspective. I said, you know, we're called to significance. When we do these things, we'll be significant. Mm. And and when we're significant, then sex, success is often part of the package. And then more of a theologian type uh, spoke up and said, hey, you know, the Bible never says we're called to significance. Which is really interesting. You know, it's we're not our purpose here isn't to be significant. And theologically, that's I'm not going to go into that vein, but. But what I did is I made a, a little bit of a leap. I said, well, wait a second. If we if we live our life, regardless of whatever circumstance we in, the way that, that the scripture says we should be our li- live our life, then we are going to be significant in God's eyes. Yeah. And, you know, because why else would he would he direct that? And so I made a leap. But it's not a big leap, okay? It's not a, and I'm not going to try to defend it theologically because that's not the point. The point is, hey, when we do certain things that ele- that that allows us to have a greater impact, and those greater impacts have ripple effects, and that's what that's what legacy is. And so, to me, the 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 framework here is, I would say, hey, we we've got to redefine happiness. Yeah. And so this is, this is something I wrote last year. Are you happy? What exactly is happiness? I think we need to redefine what happiness really is. In our marketing, marketing-driven consumerism culture, happiness has been defined as when you get the next thing or achieve a result that makes you feel happy. This is a lie. Happiness is not a feeling. Happiness is being and becoming the person God created you to become. People who focus on the goal of having the feeling of happiness get caught up in the me. This self-centered bias keeps them from experiencing something much better than the feeling of happiness. And that is the joy of helping someone else be, do, or have more than they thought possible. Go for joy and happiness will show up. And so let's just face it, bummers happen all the time, whether it's you get hit by an uninsured motorist or a relationship yeah. or whatever, that, that stuff is, is gonna happen. But if we say, hey, I'm happiest when I'm being and becoming the person God created me to be, well, then even in that negative circumstance, I can step into becoming that person. Yeah. You know, and, and maybe maybe uh, this crossroads where that accident happened is the first time this person actually sees grace mm-hmm. and forgiveness and concern above a financial loss walked out. And it also could be a time where there's kindness and respect and love that says, hey, you know what, not for our good, but for your good, you should probably uh, make a commitment to figure out how you're going to help this young girl get her next vehicle. And it's based on what they can do. You know, it's not designed to penalize them or or put them into a, uh, a position where they have no hope, but... It's, you know, a lot of times uh, love and kindness means that 
we're graciously allowing you to assume some responsibility. Mm. And I'm just assuming that the accident was more their fault than your daughter's. Uh, it was a hundred percent theirs. Yeah. <laughs> and they admitted it too, right? I don't know. I've got pictures to prove and everything, but I, you know, again, uh, yeah. But the point is, is that we get caught up in the physical, um, uh, and I heard a, I heard a, and I don't know these numbers. They sound about right, but basically they said that really, here's the here's the interesting thing. Four percent of our time is spent actually in the physical, and ninety percent of our time is spent in the spiritual. In other words, we're thinking about the world in our head and what's going to happen in the future and in the past and right now. 96% of the time versus actually being a hundred percent in the present doing something. I mean, yeah. when I get on the elliptical and I work out for, you know, 30 or 40 minutes, I'm like, yeah, I'm barely, I'm focused less than a minute on the actual movement, you know, yeah. the rest of the time. And so I don't know if that stat is right, you know, 96, four, you know, but I'll tell you what, it's more than, um, it's probably easily more than 90% for me. Yeah. And so then my question is when there is harm done, 90% of the harm is done in the spiritual. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not the, the money, the damage, the physical damage. That's the real issue. Yeah. It's how am I going to deal with the thinking aspect of it? Yeah. Part of that's forgiveness and part of that is, you know, accidents happen and part of that's concern for the other person. Yeah. And I remember when I was that, you know, when I was a teenager, uh, I think I had set the world record for minor accidents. in the <laughs> <laughs> I told people my brakes didn't work. Uh, yeah. yeah. Good, good, good call. I would just get into the back of cars like like every week. That's horrible. No major damage to anybody else, but you know my little car was kind of beat up. And finally, after the second or third time, I caught on that I'm supposed to get out of the car and worry about them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, when it was my fault. So you know, and then I got cured of driving fast. Uh, but yeah. when we understand that you know, making things right is in, in the emotional, mental, and spiritual world a lot more than the, than the physical world. Yeah. And we have a choice on how we do that. So the people who respond, hey, I got a choice on it. So I think of this, what's the greatest choice to achieve happiness? It's to do the things that help you be and become closer to the person God created you to be and become. Because the fruit of those actions is going to be happiness. Yeah. Man, you, you brought up a bunch of things, Tom. I mean, even the, I, you know, I'm so aware of our ongoing expectations. You know, we wake up with kind of this expectation that everything, you know, hoping that it's going to be all okay. And then if it's not, if anything is, is not okay, then we're we're disappointed as opposed to me waking up again, going back to the gratitude and thinking, Oh my gosh, what do I have to be overly grateful for today? That is above and beyond a, an average expectation. And if I can start with that, then if something bad happens, I mean, I'm not even down to the, I'm not even down to medium, I mean, I'm still up here with overt, gratitude. Can I look at that as opposed to looking out and going, okay, today, I hope everything just kind of goes okay. Because if it doesn't, I have no margin to be disappointed. I want margin to be disappointed, which makes me have to look at gratitude. So that's, that's one aspect because if we, if my daughter had, you know, gone off and again, not like she was devastated. It's just an easy, tangible analogy to use right now. But if she had left home feeling like, oh my gosh, I am so, maybe she had a friend who had a tragedy happen, a family member die or something like that. And here she is just worrying about a car that probably wasn't worth four grand to begin with. 
I mean, it's just a drop in the bucket compared to a real tragedy, you know, right? But even there, so then we also have the aspect of, you know, how we perceive things. And this is where I feel like it gets thrown in the bucket of the Pollyanna. That's just not realistic because the reality is it was his fault. She lost her car. She is now have a, she, she now has a deficit from her life. She should feel bad, be angry, whatever. That's just what we think is supposed to be fact. But it's just not because somebody else could be there. Again, going back to that, to think of what, or for me, from my standpoint, to think if my buddy calls, I, I, you know, let's just say I had a friend call and say, man, my, I just lost a daughter in a car crash. Drunk driver hit her. I mean, I've had this happen with friends. Drunk driver hit her. She is gone. She is dead. And my girl just got T-boned, maybe a little, you know, neck soreness for a day and that's it. Oh my gosh, who cares? And again, it doesn't feel realistic, but if we put things into perspective, and I think this forces us to, when we look at, do we want to be, how much do we care about our continual joy and even our moment to moment happiness? And I think this is why we hear so much about people finding such wells of joy and happiness when they focus on what they have to be grateful for instead of us all acting in a way that there's really little mar- no no margin for a deficit if there is we are devastated this goes to Tom Rath the renowned author of Success 2.0 and he wrote the book what was it called Tom uh, fully charged and that was what he was enamored with the reality that it seems most people look at a happy day, a good day as happenstance. So, he, you know, he did the poll, he'd ask people, so did you have a good day today? And they would think, go, huh? Yeah, it was pretty good. This morning, weather was good. Man, I didn't hit many stoplights. Gridlock was pretty, pretty got to work. They had donuts, man. I love donuts. That was good. My boss gave me a compliment. Uh, they, they actually let us off work early. I got to go play. Yeah, it was a good day. Based on what? Circumstances. And what about the next day? Oh, man, I slept terrible. I woke up. I was exhausted. And I I stepped on a Lego and, uh, you know, got reamed out by the boss, whatever. It was a bad day. And he's looking and said, man, there are ingredients that make up a good day. Can we take those and instill those no matter what? Not circumstantially, but, but try to ensure that every day is a good day, which goes to Dr. Benjamin Hardy, who we've had on the show twice now, and I just recently had on my Motive podcast in his book, Willpower Doesn't Work. And he's saying we need to set up environments to make to to give us that good outcome. So, Tom, let's 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 transition and maybe even end on that. You know, what about the moment to moment happiness? I mean, right now you're sitting in a room in your home in Dallas, Texas, and you have done things to your environment, as Ben Hardy would talk about, to try to help you have happiness, just as I. I've got an office here, and I can look around. There are things I have put around. Man, I always have access to my music, and there's, there's no mood that I can't use music to enhance. Uh, I've got, you know, I've got something to put my legs up. I got a heater beside me if I need to. I got, you know, a picture of my family. I've got, uh, you know, I can go down the line, but what, what are the things that we can do in the moment to address happiness? There are times when I'll feel frustrated and I'll go out for a walk. I'll go out for a run. I make sure I have windows in my office. There's so many, there are so many tangible things. Not everybody has control over every environment they are in, but I do want to take a moment to maybe elevate and even give permission to people on the importance of what can you do in your environments to try to help you have the best possibility for even momentary happiness based on some circumstances that you can control. I don't, I feel like we don't talk enough about that. And I, I really feel the need to elevate the value of that, Tom. What do you think? Yeah. And let me um, give another little quote here. Seeking happiness is about the me. Mm. Seeking joy is about the we. Okay. And almost always when you find somebody who's very joyful, there's a, there's a relationship or relationships in the center of it, right? It's, you know, it could be with God, could be with a family member. That's, that's what it's about. 
Um, and I have this little exercise and I call them PPAs, which is a purpose producing activity. And of course, it's, and so I'm, I'm going to answer your question about happiness. Uh, <laughs> so when we really get deep and, and dig into what our purpose is, we now have seven areas of life, our mental, our spiritual, our physical. We talk about it all the time here, our family, financial, personal, and career. So what are the purpose-producing activities in each one of those areas in our mental life and our spiritual and our physical that we can do that's going to fill, you know, bring us closer to our ultimate why, our ultimate purpose, our big thing, okay? And so those are the things we want to do. And when we do those things, the byproduct is going to be happiness. Now, in my office, I know that one of my PPAs, purpose-producing activities, is how I start my day. And I do it distraction-free, and I, you know, I've got the quiet time, and I and I read some good stuff, and and all that stuff. But I also have a cup of coffee with me. Well, that's the primary source of happiness, Tom. Because everybody knows that that is the primary primary source of happiness. There you go. <laughs> and so, and. You know, there's been a lot written about coffee. You know, some people think it's incredibly harmful. Other people think it's good for you. I'm kind of in that middle range where some is really good for you. Too much is probably not a good thing. Yeah. So I only have coffee in the morning. But you know what? The coffee creates an environment that does two things. I, I emotionally, it makes me happy. You know, it gives me that happy. But it also fuels a bigger purpose, which is it allows me to get into my zone, to, to, to start pursuing the intentional habits, the PPAs, purpose producing activities that get me closer to where I want to go. And as I achieve those, the joy comes. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> you can say it may, I'm not going to, you know, you can use joy or happiness. It doesn't matter to me what words you use, but if, there's a ton of things you can do. You can take a walk. You can drink fresh water. You can put some music on. You can text three people that you're close to that you love them and you care about them and you get those texts back, right? Oh, I love you too. I mean, those are all things that create that feeling that, that we all want. The question is, is, is if I keep doing that, is it going to continue to take me closer and closer to my purpose or is it eventually going to head the wrong direction? Well, and I like that, you know, even your purpose producing activities, it reminds me of, I talk about him so often, Joshua Spodek, who I had on the show a long time ago. I need to have him back on again. And he had a blog about SIDCHA, self-imposed daily challenging healthy activities and the value I'll culminate the message. It was the value of doing these healthy, good things that you do not have to do that the value to your mental state was far greater than even the sum of whatever those things are that you did, those good, those, those seemingly good things. And that when we proactively do that, man, I, I do feel like that's a cultural thing that we often get into a tight spot, a hard spot, challenging spot, difficult spot, and we press through, right? You just keep slogging through. And here's, a, here's the analogy. I have had some of my runs where, especially if I don't feel awesome. So I'll go out on a run and I often get in the, it's hard for me not to be in the habit of, you know, you don't stop running, Kevin, you run. Even if you feel like death, you just keep running. You don't stop and walk. I even had one of my ultra athlete in, uh, uh, Olympian guys I was running with him. And he told me that, don't know. He's an Ethiopian guy. Don't stop running, Kevin, and lock your legs up, you know? And where I'm, I'm realizing as he says that if I don't stop, if I don't stop, uh, this is going to be the longest continual run I've ever done in my life. And I did it. I slogged through. But my analogy is that on those average days, especially when I go out, I found out if I just slog through and do not stop running, my time will be X. If I stop for a second or, you know, stop, but just walk, catch my breath and take off, I'll get a better time. So take that back to our lives. Here we are and our propensity to get to that tough spot, frustrated spot, 
not happy time and you're just going to slog through to step back and go, no, it's, it is better self-care and better. I often, I think performance enhancing to stop and go deal with myself, get an attitude adjustment as Zig would say. And, and whether it's that go listen to something positive, whether that's Zig Ziglar or whether that's a song that makes you happy, go get a cup of coffee, go for a walk, light a candle. Uh, I, I don't know, call somebody, but what is it that you can proactively do to change that perspective, change that paradigm, take a deep breath, go meditate, whatever it is, and then come back and that you will often produce more than if you just keep sticking it and slogging through. So yeah, back to that, uh, your PPAs, purpose producing activities. We could just say that, that uh, how about HPA, our, our happy producing activities. What are those things that we can take control of in a moment? And I mean, the, the core of this, the exaggerated point of this would be Viktor Frankl in a concentration camp saying, I have no control over everything. I am in complete physical environmental misery. I am, I have been for years. I may be for years. The only thing coming back to your point, Tom, I can deal with is my head. What can I go inside and do, and if you can do it in his situation, you are, you are, you are, you are, uh, ultimately powerful. You are limitless in that sense. I don't think we as humans are physically limitless, but can we be mentally? I mean, to a degree. So that, that always speaks to me, Tom, cause I can get to those points in a given day and I can forget my gratitude, sometimes forget things, get fixated on something. And I, I am not happy. I have to proactive. I'm either going to stick there, come home unhappy and tell everybody, no, I had a bad day. Just give me some room. Or I can do the work, do the work. That sounds bad. Wait, what's a better word, Tom? I can, I, I, I can make the effort. Even that, I'm trying to make it not sound like a hardship. I can step back. I can stop. Maybe I can let go and do something. Yeah, I can take a gratitude break and then uh, commit with renewed intentional focus on my purpose. Okay, good. No, I, <laughs> good. It's good. And, and I'm saying this, I hope people are, I'm speaking to myself because I am, here I am, you know, the, the, a voice for Zig Ziglar. And it's, saying, I, it's not easy stuff. It's not just, you don't, I haven't arrived, Tom. I don't ever expect to. I don't expect to come to the point of going, you know what? Nope. Now I got it. I'm always goal oriented. I'm always happy. Everything's always good. Success every day. I'm there. It's every, it's every day. And there's never going to be a moment that I'm not going to have an unhappy thing happen. Maybe even a tragic, you know what? And let, and let me, let me, uh, I, I don't want to, I don't want to miss that one. If I think about, it was something that you said, I don't remember what it was, Tom, but if I think about the happiest people, the ongoing happiest, most joyful, most peaceful people I have met, they are usually the people who have had significant traumas happen to them and they have overcome them. They know the depth of despair and they know from that the height of happiness and they're able to stay there because they know kind of like back to my level, they know overarching gratitude especially in relation to the depths that they've been to where something happens, man, it's just not going to, it's just not going to knock them far off. And now, you know, and for every person that that trauma happened, there's a lot of others that, that'll, that'll stay in the depths of despair. So it's not to say trauma is the key, but sometimes it's us in the middle who have not had some big trauma, who have had lots of privilege, who are the most prone to kind of waffle and mediocrity and not really ever achieve a high level of happiness. And then I see this person who has every single reason to be unhappy and they're stupidly happy. So that's convicting to me. Uh, so you're reminding me, remember the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? Yep. Maybe we should put that in. You ever put? It, it, don't worry, be happy. We could put that in there. And I was actually thinking about an artist that I like, Alan Stone. And he has a song that one of the lyrics goes, it would take so, uh, and, and I'm a paraphrase, it would take so much hate to take away my happiness. Uh, and and it, it's always just kind of stuck with me. So, man, I think it's convicting for all of us just to question. So that, yeah. 
yeah, so that song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, um, one of the happiest human beings I knew was my dad. Mm. I mean, but it was more than happy. It was joy. It was, you know, just a certainty. And it, we've talked about it before, but it, it kind of came out of his root of, of, of humbleness and brokenness. And when you study those uh, words, you discover that people who are truly humble, truly broken, they never worry. And the reason they don't worry is because they know that their only responsibility is to speak God's truth and love. Yeah. It's not their responsibility what people do with it. Mm. And so when we look at, well, what's the enemy of happiness? A lot of times it's worry. And worry is usually rooted in trying to control something we have no control over. And so the people who've been through the most trying, traumatic, life-changing situations, they get to that point with, with being okay with they have no control over what happens next. And when you let go of that, then the worry goes with it. Yeah. If you don't have, if it's not up to you, there's nothing you can do about it. And so if you're living your life, letting go over all the things you can't control and taking ownership of speaking God's truth and love, knowing that however people take it, that's between them and God, then that puts you in, in a really good position. And so when dad said he never worried, that's why. Now I was digging in, I don't know, um, have you ever dug into what your what your greatest fear is? A little. Everybody's, huh? <laughs> yeah. 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 Kevin's like, I'm not coming clean on that. <laughs> oh. And so yeah. This is a therapy session. Are you yeah. Gonna, are you going to so invoice I think, me? I think mine, if it's not my top one, it's right at the top. Uh, is disappointing someone else. Yeah. And so if that's your, you know, so for me, uh, that's where worry and, and the joy and the happiness stealer comes in, right? So if I'm worried about disappointing someone else, I mean, that's not the way we're supposed to live. That's, that's top of my list there uh, as well, Tom, is... Uh, you know, that, that right there is probably a good piece of this. When we're looking at happiness, what steals it is often worry. Worry is based in fear. What are you afraid of? I, I have to come there a lot because whatever I fear is, is not that bad. I mean, am I, am I going to end up, you know, homeless in the gutter, bereft of love and it's not going to happen. Uh, so what's the worst that can happen? It's not, man. Again, we're back to that perception, uh, change. You know, I just looked up, I, we mentioned songs, Alan Stone. It's the, the song is called sunny days and the lyric it's right from me says, you know, life, it ain't always sunny days, but right now I can't feel no rain on me. It would take so much hate for my smile to leave because I know, and now this is a love song. I know the one I love, she loves me. And for those of you faith-based people, you could put that because I know the one I love, he loves me. Uh, God loves me. And in that, it would take so much hate for my smile to leave. And sometimes I think about that to what is it that has the power to wreck your happiness, to take away your smile, to cause you to hate, to cause you to be bitter, to cause you what has so much power and why. And it's some of those big statements that just level me and say, I, I, what do, what reason do I have for my smile to leave? Well, hey, that's uh, that's convicting to me, Tom. I, I hope it is for everyone else because that, that is something I just want folks to hear that there's no amount of positivity and positive input that can can make it always be a sunny day. It's not always a sunny day, but what can we do to uh, keep the smile on authentically? We have a lot of control, a lot of control, man. I appreciate it. I did. We didn't go over. We had so many incredible responses. I didn't go over a whole lot of them. A lot of people who gave great questions that I think we covered in this. Uh, gratefully, we saw a lot of people who said they realized they have a lot of control over it, but I didn't want to just give a head nod to that because knowing that we have control is one thing. Uh, being able to walk it out is as we've covered another Tom. PPA purpose. Right. Okay. 
All right. That's my walk away. Thank you, brother. Be blessed. Friends, the hope of this show is to help you better maintain your happiness and core joy amidst circumstances you, of course, can't control. And maybe you can't stay happy and joyful in every specific moment, but we can all improve our efforts and even if we fall, recover more quickly and find the gratitude and paradigm shifts to put positivity back into any situation. Coming up in episode 875 of The Ziggler Show, we hear the healthy habits of success from our trust guru, David Horsager. David schooled us in what actually makes us trustworthy to others in episode 873. In this episode, we land on his foundational mantra of just love them, as in loving others, as a key to his best habits. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.